the social media generation does not want to sit passively and listen to a lecture. The social media generation is used to commenting. They're used to expressing themselves. They're, they want to give input. The church has to be able to make room for that. And boy, that's messy. Welcome to the Oh My Geekers podcast, where we educate others while educating ourselves on an array of topics. We also review movies, books, and TV shows. Hey, it's Gabe, and I'm your host today along with Zeke. For the very first time, we have a guest visiting us in studio. He's a pastor, missionary, musician, and executive director of Rise Missional Movements. We're going to spend some time talking about what the church and discipleship may look like in a post-COVID world. I want to apologize in advance as we had a technical issue about halfway through the episode. So you're going to hear a drop in the audio, but don't worry, we got it figured out quickly and it goes back to normal. All right, Tom, thanks for uh, joining us today. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself uh, to the audience and let us uh, let us know who you are and what, what's going on in, in your life right now. Yeah, I'm a pastor, um, missional leader, and a disciple maker, how I choose to represent myself. Uh, so I've you know, done a lot of work in local churches, done a lot of work out in the community with the unchurched, uh, but my passion is really like disciple making, life on life mentoring, um, and I've lived in the San Jacinto Valley of Southern California uh, for, well, I actually grew up here and then left for a while, came back, uh, been out here for the last 10 years, and we have a change coming up where God is calling us to move to the Bay Area, um, which is exciting and scary all at the mm. same time. Definitely a lot more expensive. Um, and um, yeah, so we're, we're looking forward to that change. We're currently moving and, you know, a couple more days where we'll, we'll be out of there and on our way to uh, NorCal. Wow. Yeah, thanks for taking time. I know moving is chaotic, so I really appreciate you. Hey, making, for you guys, making time for this. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. We met Tom and, and, his, and his wife um, last summer. At the end of summer, um, we, were, we were actually praying about... Uh, uh, Jeanette and I, and the, well, actually the whole family, we were praying about, um, you know, attending church, church uh, as a whole, and, uh, and and really fellowship in general. And uh, we felt like there was a, for us anyway, a, a big lack of that. And uh, we were actually, you know, crying out to the Lord, you know, um, why can't we just find genuine fellowship in the church? And and it was uh, it was um, it was a genuine cry for help and through a series of events we were introduced to to tom and his family and uh, we've been having um uh, i guess church in the driveway i don't know if that it sounds kind of weird but um we we've been actually having fellowship um in our driveway and neighbor's driveway uh it was kind of timely because of uh covid restrictions we're here again in, in california it's pretty pretty restrictive um and so we've gotten to know uh, Tom and, and fall in love with him and his family and just the, uh, the, the, the witness that they are uh, to, to the community. And, um, you know, talk a little bit about that. I mean, as far as what you've seen, you've been um, in the church arena and, and within the, um, the structure of, of church politics. And, um, you know, how has COVID affected that what have you seen and where where do you think it's going because um you know the church started in the home 
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, COVID definitely emptied the church buildings out, right, for several months. Um, and I think some good things and some bad things came out of it, um, but I think more good than bad. Um, I think many times the centralized church model can be really restrictive in that it enables people to have sort of a consumerist relationship with, with God. Um, and many churches sort of become very commercialized and businesslike. Um, and that just, you know, keeps people from really living their faith outside of the four walls of those local centers of ministry. And so COVID basically scattered the flock um, and trapped people in their homes and in their neighborhoods, where I think people became a lot more aware of what God was doing. Mm. Uh, and, you know, like yourselves crying out, like, what do we do when we can't go to the church? It was hard enough to find genuine fellowship, but now we're stuck at home. Everyone's afraid what's going to happen. You know, Lord, send send community, right? Mm-hmm. And I think COVID has given people a hunger for community um, and and ministry, right? Because what do you, how do you make an impact? How do you live out your faith now that the local church is not providing the programs and the opportunities for you to jump in and serve? Um, you know, you got to start getting creative. You got to start listening to Jesus himself, right? And so mm-hmm. it's really, I think, brought people a lot closer to God in one sense. Um, and I think it's forced the church to expand and maybe even reimagine a little bit what it means to be the church uh, rather than what it means to go to church, right? And just kind of participate the way that that we have for so long. So, uh, yeah, I see it going. Uh, I see the church expanding. I see the kingdom of God expanding. I see homes being leveraged, but not just homes, um, public spaces, you know, social spaces, virtual spaces now. And I think that's one of the good things that has come out of COVID is that churches have been forced to go into the virtual realm. Uh, Many times, you know, they didn't have a desire to do that. Mm. They didn't have the know-how. But I saw around the time of the lockdown, in California at least, churches figured out within a weekend (laughs) how to go virtual, how to live stream services. And uh, all of a sudden, my Facebook feed was filling up with church services, Mm. you know, virtual church services. And... So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting possibilities. There's some, you know, potential risks and pitfalls as well. Um, ultimately, people do need to gather, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Bible says forsake not the gathering. And yet, virtually, um, there is some element of the virtual gathering space that is still um, rich and in a lot of ways more convenient um, and still, you know, can be spirit led. And I've, I've been in a lot of interesting situations in virtual gatherings where I just thought, I, I didn't think this was possible. This level of, mm. you know, spiritual connection <laughs> on Zoom. And and yet, because people have been forced to, um, you know, the spirit, I think, is, is sort of working with what, what we have currently. And in a lot of ways, I think even driving that, right? Like in the book of Acts, where uh, persecution scattered the church, right? Mm. It's like, Disaster strikes, crisis comes, but God is still in control. In fact, a lot of times, you know, he has a purpose behind it. So, Right. With your, uh, personally, I mean, growing up, you know, in this area in Southern California, um, the, the move, the, the Bay Area specifically is known for liberalism 
and uh, kind of a laissez-faire attitude towards life socially. So, you know, your decision to, to move up there is, I'm sure, not taken lightly. Obviously, we met with a lot of prayer. So what what was it that, you know, God placed on your you and your, your wife's heart to to move to to pretty much sell everything and and move from an area where you are very established and your roots go very deep um you know what what did what did god place on your heart to to prompt you yeah well since we started the missional journey sort of ministry outside of the established churches um i think we always assumed that god would move us on i think that's the pattern of the book of acts right it's uh you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and judea and Samaria, and then the other ends of the earth. And and it's sort of this gradual progression where you start where you're at, you start where you're the most familiar, where people are like you, uh, and you understand them, and then you move out a little bit further, uh, where, you know, people are still maybe similar interests, similar demographics, but a little further away. Mm-hmm. And then Samaria is like, okay, people who are different and far away, and then the uttermost ends of the earth, right? It's like, okay, now we're going cross-cultural. and these, So we, we, we acknowledge that the natural progression of kingdom, kingdom expansion, at least in terms of the model that we have in the book of Acts, is to go further and further away from where you started, where you encountered Christ, and learn to contextualize the gospel in different places to different people. And quite honestly, um, my wife's brother and his family moved back to the States. They were uh, overseas missionaries for hmm. seven years um, in Pakistan and India. Oh, they wow. came back and they moved to um, Concord, which is, you know, up in the Bay Area, Contra Costa County, uh, about, you know, 20 minutes east of Oakland, um, and 40 minutes east of San Francisco. And so at that time, I suspected eventually we would be up there the rest of my wife's family is up there as, as well. Um, so I kind of wondered if, you know, at some point, uh, maybe 10 years down the line or so, we would end up there as we were just figuring out this missional journey and sort of building families on mission along the way. Um, so that was already in the back of my mind. Then mm-hmm. her brother called me one morning, and ironically enough, uh, the conversation started around pastoring at an established church, which... I just wasn't really excited about Mm. and um, felt like was not the direction that I was supposed to be going in. Uh, And yet there was some pull towards it. um, And I felt like I had a clear word from the Lord to apply for the position. And in the course of doing that, speaking with everybody else involved, um, my wife's grandmother who we live with and our ministry team out here, we determined that, we're just supposed to be out there regardless of what this church decides. So it was this catalyst. It was this idea that started a conversation where we were basically able to determine that we needed to move. Um, And there were some things that I had uh, kind of started during COVID uh, job retraining, so to speak, um, finding ways to leverage my skills on the internet uh, that were already ready to go. I was just about to try to launch and scale some of those things in January. And, um, then this came up and then we realized, okay, we got to move. And, um, interesting, interestingly enough, uh, after we 
sold our house, purchased a house up there, and we're basically just a couple of weeks away from moving. Um, the church called and said that they um, decided not to move forward with my candidacy. Um, and it's like, okay, well, moving on, you know, we, we know what we're supposed to do. And so the plan is just to continue doing what we were doing out here, planting what we call micro churches, um, you know, mid-sized, small to mid-sized church groups, basically faith communities. There's lots of different ways that you can get at it. But uh, yeah, what we've been doing out here, right? Just meeting, gathering safely, uh, outdoors. Uh, hopefully we can go back indoors soon. <laughs> um, and just being present in a neighborhood or uh, around unreached communities and drawing people in, building friendships, um, bringing the gospel to bear on some of the bad news, some of the issues that they're going through in their life, and just slowly drawing people onto that journey of conversion and and discipling them in the process, right? Calling them to a way of life um, that we are living, that we are just in, simply inviting people into. So you touched on uh, the organization that you're part of. Um, what What is that and what's your role in that? I, th- I believe you're a founder. Of- yeah, so in October... We started a nonprofit called Rise Missional Movements, um, and uh, I'm basically the executive director, um, kind of the the vision guy behind it. And it's my expression of what a lot of missional organizations sometimes are called apostolic networks, not big A apostolic, right. little A, <laughs> yes. right? We don't, we don't, we don't believe in this, like, you know, succession of this special authority, but we do believe that, um, you know, like in Romans chapter one, Paul says that we, we have all been given apostleship, um, to bring about the obedience of the nations. And so in a sense, uh, the church as a whole is supposed to be stepping into the roles of like Ephesians chapter four, um, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, Um, and there are some people who have started networks that have made it easier for people in the church to start new initiatives without waiting on their local church or their home church to like give them permission Mm -hmm. or fund them or things like that. Um, and so, yeah, we plant micro churches. We, we recruit people who have, who, who share our core values, um, and so it's not like a doctrinal statement necessarily. We our doctrine. The extent of our doctrinal statement is like the apostles creed, because those are right. the 17 theological points where it's like, you have to agree with all these. Otherwise you're not even Christian. Right. right. Um, so we don't split hairs over um, peripheral doctrinal issues. We just try to band people together around gospel centric tools and practices uh, around a vision of discipleship and, and kingdom expansion. And we, we want to give permission to people who feel like they need an organization or a spiritual authority, authoritative body to bless the, bless the work, bless the vision that God has given them. Um, and we, we give a pathway, right? We want to offer a pathway and help people to just troubleshoot what that mission looks like and, and see the vision come to pass, uh, because we believe that God speaks equally to all of his children. It's not just the pastor. Um, and that is the birthright of, the, the child of God to hear the voice of the father and um, and that Jesus said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. And I, I really interpret that as like uh, that authority is being delegated to the church 
um, to anybody who would make disciples, they, they now have the authority to carry the gospel uh, wherever they go. And again, bring the gospel to bear on the lives of, of the unreached in a way that, that draws them in, right? And, and baptizing them is a, is a part of it. Uh, and that's really about immersing them in this new identity, this life of God, right? Partaking of the promises, Peter said that, um, you know, partaking uh, of, of the divine nature, but then also teaching them to obey all that I have commanded is what he said. Um, and that's not just teaching people Bible studies. That's actually giving them practical handles on how to apply scripture to their lives in a way that um, helps them follow Jesus in real time um, and learn biblical wisdom in the day-to-day areas, you know, the gray areas of life and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, so our, our idea of authority is really just about empowerment. It's, it's an, it's a culture of high accountability, but low control, Mm. um, where we just want, we, we expect that God is speaking to people and giving them vision to go after, yeah, to go after an unreached community. And we want to come alongside of them and, and empower them with permission, but then also, uh, help them, get there as well and get the training that they need, which many times the local churches aren't offering because, um, so much is in-house, so much is programmatic. Um, and you know, many times they're just looking to parachurch ministries or like, well, you know, go work for that missional organization. And we just want to kind of bridge that gap a little bit more. So what does that look like practically for, um, let's say someone hears this podcast and reaches out, what would be that I guess first conversation, that first step. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we are still setting everything up. We, we just got a board together, um, our bank account, uh, and we're trying to streamline the process, but essentially what it's going to look like when it's all up and running is, uh, we're going to market our organization, um, for both fundraising and then also for recruitment. And, um, we're going to put the organization in front of people. We're going to try to funnel people into an application, um, where, they can apply to be recruited by our, our team of practitioners. Um, and then as a staff, we're going to decide who we support, who we take on, and there's going to be coaching. There's going to be financial resources. Um, there's going to be educational opportunities. Um, and the idea is that we would just sort of be like a missional organization that fully backs these people. Um, and we, we are not going to charge them for the service. We're going to fundraise so that it's available to them. Uh, but we'll probably have like a, some free will offering that we, some good faith agreement <clears throat> where they are able to, you know, give a monthly gift to offset the costs to the organization. Um, but it's whatever they're able to, to mm-hmm. give, right? We just want to make sure that people are, number one, they value the service that they're getting and they take it seriously. Uh, but also that money is not a hindrance to getting the training that they need and, and pursuing the vision that they, that they have. So do you see, um, the, the Bay area, just kind of a natural, um, I don't, I don't want to say transplant, but, a like a, not, a, not a branch opening in that area, but for your organization, just, a you know, expanding naturally, organically, you know, yeah. God's moving you to that area to, you know, you got Southern California chapter in air quotes and then, you know, the Northern California. We definitely want to operate in a decentralized kind of way. Mm-hmm. So we want, um, so my, my idea of biblical leadership or accountability is really 
comes out of like Acts, Acts chapter 13. Leaders getting together, local leaders getting together, um, praying, listening to the Spirit. It says that they were fasting as well. And this was a, a habit that they had, a rhythm. Um, and then holding each other accountable to what God is telling each of them. Uh, affirming and listening for each other, affirming each other, and then, you know, challenging each other to press into to that vision that they have. Um, and so I think our central leadership team, we want to operate in that way, but we don't want to, we want to grow the organization organically where there's just an understanding that, that the leaders, every leader has a leader and we stay in that place of uh, submiss- submissiveness to one another, that place of listening on behalf of one another, giving encouragement and challenge on a regular basis. Um, and, and the focus or the emphasis of the organization is really just building the communities, not worrying about, um, again, the peripheral doctrinal issues, um, you know, staying true to the core values and the core doctrine that we, we do, uh, hold to, but giving people room to build communities and as practitioners, as, as people who, uh, have built communities and multiplied communities, we want to help them troubleshoot some of those things in their context. And mm. this is why you want to be decentralized because each context has its own kind of feel. Every neighborhood's different. Every neighborhood, every city. And, you know, I'm looking forward to exploring more of the digital space in the Bay Area because that that's most right. of, I mean, that's like ground zero for, right. <laughs> you know, all of the, the, all things tech, all things tech. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I would think more so how people live their lives up there than in most places sure. uh, yeah. through, through technology. Um, so I think that I'm looking forward to pioneering some digital ministry. Um, and, and then that begins to be an added skill set that we can impart to others who come along, uh, into the organization. So and do you, do you see that like, especially with COVID, um, you know, and I don't have any statistics, but I would imagine the ones that were real diehard. I'm not, we're not getting on Instagram. We're not going to live stream. We're not going to, you know, any of that digital, you know, mm-hmm. uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you think they kind of missed the boat, so to speak? I mean, you know, we're, we're in it there. There's still a lot of places that are restricted. And, um, I would imagine those early adopters probably weathered a little bit, a little bit better. I mean, you know, obviously God's going to sustain, you know, the, the, uh, the, the ministries. ministries he wants. Right. To. And that mm-hmm. he's, you know, that he's using, you know, whether they are on YouTube or not on YouTube or, or whatever the platform is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it depends on your context. So there are a lot of churches that didn't close because, you know, maybe they were a little bit older and they just didn't care about the, the COVID scare. And, and you know, maybe they went and fought at the Supreme Court about, you know, whether or not they're essential service and if they should stay open. And, you know, there are a lot of churches, even in this town, they never closed, like nothing ever changed. And they just mm. kept, you know, packing people in the room. Uh, and then there are a lot of churches where... Um, they were more concerned with the pandemic and more concerned to be obedient to the executive orders. And, you know, they're, they have a different struggle, right? So they, they did go online, but now they're going to have a hard time getting people to come back. Um, 
And so there are challenges on both sides, right? Um, because of the, the cultural issues that have also come out of COVID and the cultural and political issues. Mm. Um, I, I'd say there are wins and losses, no matter what, you know, what path they chose. Um, but I would say if we're talking about long-term church vision, th- we still have this looming issue like the elephant in the room, which is millennials are not coming to church and they're not paying for churches to stay open. And you have about 10 years left Mm. of the great and the boomers funding these institutions and no one behind them to keep paying the bills. Um, And so the question remains, how do we become a relevant part of the lives of these people who are not necessarily hostile towards Christianity or towards Christ, but who are hostile toward, towards the packaging of the last hundred years, hmm. especially in American Christianity. How do you reach them and how do you, how do you draw them into a vibrant faith journey um, using the tools and the spaces that they are accustomed to in places where they're already gathering. And I'd say the church as a whole needs to figure out the answer to that, to that question. Um, but, you know, if you're a part of a local church that uh, you're just going to kind of die on the hill of physical gathering, we're okay with just, you know, 100 people in the community doing some, some good works and things. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, and, you know, different churches are called to different things and, you know, it's okay if they don't figure out the online thing. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, um, (laughs) my opinion is that the smaller the church, the better. Um, I think what we see in the new Testament is small mid-sized groups, um, that were really banding around um, a business, a common business or common area neighborhood made up of, you know, multiple families sort of doing life together. Um, And in Acts 8, these are the families that are scattered across the Roman Empire. And the apostles, which means sent one, uh, the sent ones stayed put while the ordinary moms and dads took their businesses on the road and planted churches in places that the apostles had never been to, yet they're writing letters to churches in those places that they didn't plant. And so I think that's a movement. And many times church planting today takes an opposite approach. It takes the idea of like, if you build it, then they'll come. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a mistake. And Mm -hmm. so I think if we actually intentionally focused on smaller fellowships, um, then, you know, the church would see a lot more fruit because they, the church would have a lot more flexibility to reach different areas and regions and cultures and, and find and contextualize the gospel because it's easier for them to turn on a dime and move with the spirit rather than the big, big mega churches trying to sustain that trying to sustain all of the high overhead. Um, now I'm not against the mega churches. Sure. I think that the, the gift of the mega church is with all of those resources and with all of that, um, you know, physical help yeah. and infrastructure 
um, they can create powerful platforms for the gospel. And so they can blast the gospel into a community, into a need in a way that, you know, it's like, it's very powerful. It's very potent. Uh, and yet it takes a lot to turn that big gun. Right. And so if the spirit decides to switch gears, hmm. uh, will that big operation, will that big church be able to shift with the spirit? Many times the answer is no. Hmm. And they just kind of stick with a, a thing or an emphasis and changing anything. And that big of an organization is usually too difficult. I'm picturing the uh, Suez Canal and what's going on right now in that giant cargo ship just kind of stuck sideways and <laughs> yes. nothing's really happening because they, they kid you, they just can't navigate, the, yeah. you know, costing that. billions of dollars. Right. And yet stuck. Right. And saying, Oh, it's going to take weeks. And yeah, it's like, yeah, we ended up stuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blessed are the, what is it? Blessed are the flexible for they shall not be broken. Yes. That's you know, a old Calvary chapel. Yeah. Saying there. yeah. So, so Tom, you have a, a background in music. Um, and, and music, uh, culturally, you know, you're talking about reaching, um, reaching people. And that's a, that's a great, you know, um, bridge music. Um, talk a little bit about your, first of all, your, your, your background, how you came to Christ. So when I was younger and I had a lot of emotional issues and when I turned nine, my mom said, um, you can either take karate lessons or you can play an instrument. And so I picked a saxophone just because it was shiny and had lots of buttons. And I ended up excelling to the point where I was basically getting paid to play music by age 13. Um, so it, it became not only my first love, my first kind of idol, uh, it also became a potential career pathway. And I um, pursued that into college and I went to New York City to study music. And then I came back after two years. Uh, I really just couldn't handle life in this in that city, um, especially with the weather. I got pneumonia both years I was there, oh, same, wow. in like the same week in November, um, every time. And of course, I wasn't very healthy. I was a drug addict, and I was smoking cigarettes, and um, I didn't take care of myself. You know, I lived on pizza and um, Cuban food, but. <laughs> and it was good. <laughs> it was so good and cheap. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, it's something where it, uh, all my dreams and, and hopes kind of were crushed and when I had to come back and I realized I didn't really have what it took. I saw what real competition was in, in the music industry and I just realized that it was going to be way harder than I thought. And I slowly faded into the background and came back to my hometown, which always feels like your feet. And I got further in my drug addiction, but that's eventually how I met the Lord. There was a, a family that I worked with. Uh, they owned a restaurant in town, and they ministered Christ to me very effectively for about a year. Um, and I was very proud and hard-headed, but they would pick me up for church every Sunday. And that's the first time I ever had any kind of church experience. Actually, I didn't, I didn't grow up with any of it, you know, maybe Eastern Christmas occasionally. Um, and uh, I got kind of just radically saved. I, after an all-night drug binge, um, they picked me up, took me back to that church, and I responded to the gospel. Oddly enough, not I didn't walk forward, right, because I was say, oh, public, this and that, and I just kind of sat on my seat and cried out to the Lord in my heart. I think my friend, who I worked with, who's my boss, 
he knew what was happening. He put his hand on my shoulder and I literally, that was the moment where I felt born again. It felt like the spirit entered my body and everything changed. And I was actually able to walk away from the drug addiction. Just felt like I didn't need it anymore. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome to, to hear what God can do. And now you're married. You've got a lot five, of kids, five kids, a lot of kids, a lot of kids. Yes. <laughs> I want to get a doormat that says, there's like a lot of kids in here. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Letters. Yeah. It's so fun though. Your family is so awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I, 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 I'm going to miss you. Um, you know, I know this isn't like goodbye, you know, uh, forever, but man, you, you've, you've really impacted our family, um, and this neighborhood really over the last, since what was last August, I believe, mm-hmm. um, our, our neighborhood is, is starting to, um, you know, really come alive uh, in a way that that we haven't seen before just through, you know, meeting in a driveway on Sundays and sharing a meal with whoever wants to come and prayer for whoever wants to come. Um, and so that I've, I know that that's a witness and I know that, you know, you're going to take that same, that same zeal and that same uh, desire to serve the Lord to the Bay area. And so even though we're, lo- we're losing, you know, the Bay area is gaining. So that's, and man, I, I really look forward to, to hearing and seeing what God is going to do um, do up there. And so, Zeke, did you have any? No. No? Okay. So, Zeke is here, you guys. So just, uh, <laughs> I'm here. I, he is I here. I just don't talk a lot. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. Except um, on other podcasts. Yeah, on other, other <laughs> podcasts it, when it's uh, about Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, we got to break it into four, <laughs> four parts. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it's just been, been really good. Um, getting to getting to know your family they're, they're precious so you know you're moving up there and uh you you've obviously scoped it out you have family in in that general area well and, and we're taking a family and oh and you're taking a family yeah if you want to talk about that real quick and how god did that because yeah. that's kind of a story in of itself oh well that's one of the ways we discern that we're supposed to be up there um we talked to this family and they they had already sensed that they were supposed to move out of town with us for uh and go be a family on a mission live communally you know, so in in the course of learning missional ministry, our paradigm for the church changed to understanding the church as a decentralized family or decentralized families on mission, um, you know, sort of establishing these outposts of the kingdom in different places uh, and then sort of orbiting around each other in, in larger gatherings or conferences or, um, you know, and the church still operates like that in a lot of ways, Um there's just a lot, there's a bigger emphasis on the local church centers, but, um, yeah. So in the course of building that family over the last four years, um, some families have come in really close and, um, one of them is feeling called to go with us and, and live this mission out, which is really good because four years ago we started with nobody and it took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to, really find committed people who shared the vision. Um, so we're encouraged because not only are we going to have the support and the community immediately out there, um, you know, in addition to my wife's family, but we're also going to have some instant traction because there's mm. going to be people to help shoulder the work of reaching the community and doing mission. Um, and yeah, so we're, we're, this is sort of going to be a new experience showing up to a new place with two families. They have two kids. We have five kids. So obviously it's going to be a busy house and mm-hmm. we don't quite know what that, what it's going to look like yet. Um, 
we have always had other people come in and live with us because we had a big enough house out here. But up there, we're getting like half the house for twice the price. And uh, it's more of a city atmosphere than country. And so, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of learning curves. Uh, and But we're excited. The demographic up there, what do you, um, you know, I mean, the Bay Area is a big spread out area. Um, the, the the neighborhood or the community that you're moving into, what it, what have you seen? The demographic seems to be a lot of young families, smaller families, because it's so expensive. Um, you know, you get a lot of educated people um, who many times feel like, well, I got to pay off my student loans before I can have kids. And so they're, they tend to be older families in a sense, like they're, they start having kids in their thirties, right? Which we did that as well, uh, just for different reasons. Um, but yeah, so I think there's some relatability there. When we were exploring the area, we did stand out like freaks because we had so many kids. And I think people were just confused because they didn't see that very often. Um, but uh, there, it, it's pretty diverse crowd. Um, a lot of uh, Asian, Latino, um, and, you know, it's going to be a little different than what we're used to down in Southern California. Um, the education level it's definitely going to be different. People really take pride in the institutions that they graduated from and uh, a lot of tech jobs, you know. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a different context that we'll have to learn. But we're really hoping to just establish ourselves as a family that people can imitate, you know, in, in sort of our intentionality and the way we integrate our family with our mission for the kingdom. So uh, the millennial generation you had mentioned, you know, do you do you see them as being overchurched oh, yeah. or maybe just unchurched like what what is that what do you see that disconnect being i know you you served in like a youth ministry capacity mm -hmm. so like what have you seen with that that group that generation? so uh, from what i've observed with with millennials which i am sort of at the front of that generation born in 1984 um, so I relate a little bit, but I also had a boomer dad and a Gen X mom. So I see things a little differently as well. Um, I think they have, um, so the generation is sort of divided in half with people who grew up in church and are leaving the church and people who did not grow up in the church and consider themselves like nuns. So you have nuns and duns in the research, <laughs> right? I like that. Yeah, the nuns are the people who have no no religious affiliation, and the duns are the people who actually left the church, or they're, they've been called de-churched mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I think the reason is, um, it is the church, for one, doesn't live where they're living um, in terms of not just the things that they're going through, but again, the mediums that they spend a lot of their time on, right? Um, so hopefully some progress being made there because of COVID. We're, we're becoming, we're, we're getting into their gathering spaces. We're becoming relevant um, to their lives. But I think there's also been an issue of the way the expression of church, the social media generation does not want to sit passively and listen to a lecture. The social media generation is used to commenting, mm. right? They're used to expressing themselves. They're, they want to give input. They want to work together to solve problems. They want to, they want to you know, be social justice warriors, you know, whatever. Right. They want to engage. Yeah. yeah, they want to engage. And so 
uh, I think, you know, the church has to be able to make room for that. And boy, that's messy, right? Mm. Like it's, you can't really control services Mm -hmm. in the traditional way when your congregants all want to say something. Uh, And yet that kind of discussional discovery learning is really helpful in bringing people to faith. Um, So I think that's a shift that that needs to happen. Uh, I I also think the mentoring component of discipleship is going to be a big draw, uh, but that doesn't really happen in a lot of local churches. Uh, They're programmatic. And, you know, so if you're going to lead a life group, then it's about taking these eight weeks, you right. know, sort of, you know, learning. Workbook and, yeah. You go through the workbook and you do it this way. and very packaged. Yeah, but where's the holistic life-on-life mentoring, you know? Mm. Um, and I think one of the issues for millennials is um, they would say they came up, you know, through failed parenting strategies. Mm. And, and the world that they were taught is not really jiving with the world that they're now working in and living in and raising their families in. So there really is a need for schools and companies and institutions to pick up the slack on surrogate parenting, Hmm. which is funny because that's exactly what the church does. Mm -hmm. It's what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul, Jesus talked a lot about discipleship, but what's interesting is out outside of the book of Acts, you don't hear any more about discipleship what you hear in the letters is parenting. Mm. Paul says, I became a father right. to you in Christ, right? Um, and so the idea is like this spiritual parenting now. And that's, that's exactly what this generation is crying Craving. out for. Yeah, mm. They want deep community. They want people with skills who are a little bit further down the road to come alongside of them. They don't want to just listen to a pastor on a stage. They want that pastor to walk off the stage and mm-hmm. now walk alongside of them right. and help them implement these things so that they can feel like they're winning at life. Um, and right now they're, they're getting their butt kicked because they weren't adequately prepared. Um, they were told to do things that has, has, you know, were not that helpful. Like, um, go to this institution mm, and take get out into debt, take <laughs> out the same amount of debt as you would like buying a house only you're 18 years old. Um, and then, you, then you'll get a good job and be mm. happy. And they're just realizing we were lied yeah. to, right? Like it didn't work out that way at all. Mm. Right. And it's like, well, mom and dad did that. Well, college didn't cost that much back then. Right. right? I mean, they yeah, could was... work a part-time job and pay for their college. Right. So, um, and still have a family. Yeah. And still have that. a family. Right. So there's a lot of disillusionment and yeah. I think they're just trying to put the pieces back together and they're looking, they're looking back and trying to figure out what can I safely take from my upbringing and, into my own family culture, into my own worldview and philosophy. And I think, you know, the church has an interesting opportunity to reframe how the gospel speaks to those things. Um, and, and, and it, but it needs to happen because of the negative connotations associated with the church, especially in the, the, the resurgence of the racial Mm. tension in the country, which even white evangelicals were, were the culprit Mm. of that. Right. And so that's still in people's collective memory mm-hmm. and that still has damaged the credibility of the church. So I think they, they, they need to be won over to our values, but it needs to be life on life. Right. And practical. It, it needs to be practical and it needs to be relational, highly relational in order for it to stick and start a new trend and break 
you know, what some people think of like as the generational curses, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and this is what God does, right? I mean, you read the Bible and it's hard to see the amount of time between even two verses, but sure. But you, you know, know, there was investment in time and, and sweat and, you know, just engagement. Yeah. You know, and I, I know for me personally, um, there was a gentleman in, in my life that took the time, you know, cause I was a knucklehead and he, he took a lot of time to answer my sincere questions, my poking at the church and, um, you know, met, met me where I was at and didn't, didn't, you know, try to, try to judge where I was coming from, but would literally stay up with me till four in the morning debating, not, well, yeah, I guess debating me on playing, a level playing devil's advocate. To, kind of yeah. Thing, Cause yeah. that was, I was playing devil's advocate and mm-hmm. he would, he would answer my questions calmly and, and, and I, I had nowhere to to go because it all, it, everything he was saying, you know, made sense. And then he would, you know, get a few hours sleep and go to work. Mm-hmm. And that he was a huge <laughs> witness to me. Cause I'm like, dude, you know, sacrifice, the, uh, sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and that's just, you know, that's, that's where it's at. And so, man, we covered a lot today, but man, Tom, thank you so much for coming. If you could pray us out, uh, that'd be awesome. And if, um, Sorry, you talk so much. <laughs> <laughs> Zeke, be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> you again? No. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's pray. God, just thank you for this family. Thank you for technology and the way that uh, technology gives your people a platform to share their lives and their hearts and the things that, this, that your spirit is giving them in a way that can make an impact across the world. What an awesome time we live in. Uh, and God, uh, I just especially thank you for, for Gabe, who is building these things into his family culture, uh, these tools, and preparing them, adequately preparing them for uh, the future where this is just going to be normal. COVID has definitely ensured that you know virtual space is um, a very significant relational space now. And so uh, I just thank you for all the ways that you have opened up ministry through these mediums and through these channels. Uh, God, we do pray for uh, everybody listening that there would be a sense of understanding and revelation that, that's been given, that there would be a sense of agreement, uh, a sense of permission to go after all that Jesus has for them and not to settle, Lord. Um, and and Father, we, we also just acknowledge that we're in a time of just crisis and almost just like a cultural earthquake, an earthquake in the church. There's a lot of disagreement. There's a lot of different differing views. Um, it's just this time of upheaval. Um, but the constant, Lord, is your spirit is with us, um, that you are on the move, that you are always working. And I just pray that you would you would give peace in the storm and that you would return all of us to the simple methodology of just, listening to to the Lord, just listening to Jesus, following him wherever he leads, um, and allowing that to be our compass, uh, not news media or anything else, Lord, or, um, or, you know, endless sermons and podcasts, Lord, just that we would, that these things would, would bring us to your feet and that we would get our daily instructions from you, our daily encouragement from you, Lord, our daily bread straight from you. So, um, I just thank you, God, for, 
um, broadcasting this. And I just pray that you would touch people in a mighty way, and that you would just bring people to you, Lord. That's our desire, carry people to you, uh, because they need you now more than ever. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to connect with Tom and his ministry, just check out this episode's description. And thank you for joining us today on Oh, oh My, My Geekers. Geekers Podcast.